And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now, I don't normally do this, but in a rare and almost synchronistic moment, I recorded my last episode, the uh, How Madness Shaped History with author and psychologist Christopher J. Ferguson in early February for a release around April because that's when his book came out and it seemed like the most ideal time to put out that particular episode. Here's what's crazy. Between February and April... The entire world changed. <laughs> Madness took over everyone from leaders to the individual people in every sector and every creed and, and, and belief and ideology. Everyone got crazy. Now, how and why did that happen? And how did COVID-19 create the craziness that is basically affecting everyone? So that's what I wanted to call, since I had Chris Ferguson, I had his episode coming out, I wanted to talk to him, get his take on the current situation. You know, his first book is about how madness shaped history, people in the past, how it's affecting the future. We can't really see what's going on here. We don't know what the future looks like. You know, we can kind of guess. It doesn't look great, but but I, I don't think we can accurately predict it. But what, right now, in this exact moment, we are watching the types of decisions being made by the types of leaders that we talked about in, in our first interview, the things that people, the things, the events that shaped history, we're looking at them, we're experiencing them right now. And I thought we had to get Chris back in here and talk about what's going on now. So I'm excited about this. It's a little crazy, a little weird, but that's kind of what we do on the show. So Christopher, Jay Ferguson, thanks for coming back to the show so quickly. We spoke, in, we did this interview back in early February, and little yeah. did I know that things were going to go crazy. Uh, I'm sure you didn't either. But you know, as a, I, I'm obsessed with this idea of madness of the masses, and I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing you know people's, our political leaders' responses, and I'm talking world leaders' responses. Some are great. Mm-hmm. Some would display mm-hmm. a level of madness. You know, I think madness is currently actively, Chris the Conqueror, it is actively shaping history <laughs> right now. And I wanted to talk to you because I felt like we we gotta we gotta talk about this. Yeah. Um, what what are you seeing right now? Where, where can you kind of see both madness taking hold and how it will affect the future? Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, because I see. I think we talked on February eighth. I think was yeah. uh, when we talked before. And I'm trying to re- remember, like back. Yeah, but my memory's terrible. So I'm trying to remember. Like, did we even? Yeah, obviously some people knew about COVID-19, but I'm trying to think, like, where was that, like, in people's consciousness back on, uh, you know, February 8th? I think I was still making plans for things, you know. (laughs) Well, I can tell you, so producer Sarah, who's been kind of on the pulse of this, told me about it in January. I was in Florida in late January with my grandmother, and Mm -hmm. so that feels like years ago. (laughs) <laughs> it yeah. was like yeah, two I know. and yeah. a half months ago, right? <laughs> I mean, it is yeah. just it's just crazy. So I think it was it was it was in China and it was kind of 
becoming a thing there. It was exploding there, but it hadn't yeah. reached anywhere else. I think that's where we were when you and I first spoke. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I remember like sending a few emails to some colleagues in South Korea, you know, kind of saying, how's it kind of feeling bad for them? In a way. Right, of course. <laughs> Hope you all guys are okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they came out pretty good, you know, relatively speaking, of course. And now, uh, you know, we're the epicenter yeah. of, uh, you know, the, the, the plague. So how things change yeah, <laughs> over no, two months, for sure. uh, basically. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, we're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of ways about how people respond when you know the stability that we're used to all gets shaken apart right you know so we really don't know we didn't expect this right and we don't know what's coming from it and i think that you know is is yeah it's making a lot of people pretty mad not in the angry sense but in the you know sort of being a little bit out of control and emotional uh sense and people are making some some very, you know, in some cases, some very strange decisions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. That, uh, yeah, you know, the classic one being the whole toilet paper hoarding thing, which I think you know, <laughs> has probably become like the the, the poster of yeah. uh, the COVID nineteen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we live. I, mean, I live in Florida, and of course, we're kind of used to people hoarding supplies during, you know, hurricanes and other crises. And most sense. of those things kind of make sense. Yeah. You know, yeah like. Yeah bottled water and you know so you know some of the things people were hoarding in in, in the pandemic you know like face masks and hand sanitizer or you know, you know it's, it's bad you shouldn't hoard these things but uh they're at least thematically related you know so but like toilet paper like you know where did that come from you know it's not like people are going to stop producing toilet paper in the middle of, right. a, you know, uh, a pandemic. So that was a really, you know, and of course it's, it's still kind of an ongoing thing. So it's, it's really just fascinating to see like group behavior over something entirely absurd, uh, you know, happening in a moment of crisis like this. Well, and I should say the toilet paper thing is very odd for a couple things. First of all, now we know that, that this COVID-19 does cause gastrointestinal distress. That was not known at the mm-hmm. time. I was sure. luckily a little bit ahead of the curve, and I remember going to Costco. You know, this is maybe like second, maybe like around Valentine's Day or whatever, and I just needed toilet paper. Uh, just, <laughs> it's just that time, right? Uh, and I remember Timing going, is everything. Yeah, and I remember going to the pallet where they have like the toilet paper things, and I got like the last thing of it there. People, I mean, pe- at that time, people had started kind of starting to buy supplies, but it was very yeah. early on. And it, it was one of those kind of self-feeding things where people were hoarding it, and then people realized there wasn't going to be any, and then they wanted to go and get yeah. some. And now it's to the point, I think, you know, I, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but I, I saw on eBay, it was like five, it was a dollar for five squares <laughs> of two-ply TP, <laughs> right? Which I always made that as a joke, like a currency exchange, when I was telling all my friends, and they're like, oh, where can I get toilet paper? And I'm like, well, the current exchange yeah. rate. Um, but yeah, that was... <laughs> New was, Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. It was, you know, it was crazy. I knew a guy who started hoarding newspapers. I didn't even know people got newspapers anymore. But then he started like collecting his newspapers. You know, um, uh, going back to like the, the turn of the nineteen, you know, the nineteenth yeah. century when they'd use in <laughs> JC Penney catalogs, right, uh, mm-hmm. in outhouses. So I, I mean, it is it is crazy. Another thing, since we're talking about madness of the masses, you know, so that that is that is kind of one of the simple things people were doing. There were some pretty extreme cases. You know, you're talking about panic. I don't know where we want to start, but let's let, let I'm actually let's start in China really quickly because some interesting mm-hmm. things were going on in China. You know, first of all, as soon as you know when this thing hit, people obviously it's this exploding pandemic people are freaking out but i remember as they were trying to get it under control there there was this study or someone had 
said briefly that it was possible people could get it from their pets, cats, dogs, mm. right? Yeah. When that came out, people started throwing – in China, started throwing their pets from their windows and just like th- – Oh, wow. And just like throwing them out. Yeah, there were pictures of like just cats and dogs like being thrown from – um, from the balconies, from these high-rise buildings, because people were freaking out about it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's some evidence of that, but I don't think it required throwing your pet out of the window. Yeah. But <laughs> these, good thing they didn't say you could catch it from your kids. That's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I love animals. I'm not a big fan of kids. I mean, I would have probably gone yeah. the other way, but I'd yeah, be in jail. Um, yeah. But, but you know, you have this 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 idea of people panicking, right? And and mm. that's one of the things that can kind of happen. Um you know, another thing that happened in China, there, there are these reports coming out that that people that they're burning coronavirus patients alive, right? Like that there are that these screams oh, okay. are coming out of funeral homes. Now, this has been a debated news source. However, there are lots of reputable news sources who have picked that up, and I think some mm. of the Chinese media is trying to suppress that because it does not look good, right? I don't right, know, yeah. so I'm not going to say whether that is happening or not. I happen to have seen some reputable news sources that say that it is. If that is happening, what what does that tell you about the mentality of a group of people? You know, uh, like when they're and also the draconian measures that are happening in China, they're getting things under control, yeah. but at what cost? So, what do you think about like how madness is shaping history, like in China specifically? Yeah, well, if, 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 of course, the thing about, you know, China is, you know, there are obviously all kinds of different stories that are going on about, you know, uh, I, I mean, one thing that seems to be clear at this point is that China's, you know, numbers in terms of infection rates and mortality are largely rubbish, you know, so, right, right. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's kind of, the, you know, it's something to keep in mind when we keep hearing about how, like, the U.S. has, like, got the number one, you know, uh, you know rates of infection and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky, like, China is special in the sense of that, you know, it's, they're not a transparent, you know, regime, so we don't always have a good sense of what's going on in, you know, in, in China, so you hear all, like, the reports mm-hmm. about, like, maybe there was a lab accident, and that released the virus, or is it because of the wet markets, or, you know, and, and the reality is, is no, you know, the, the, the regime in China is, you know, is an authoritarian regime, and they're not transparent, so we don't really know what's happening there, and that fuels the rise of conspiracy theories mm-hmm. about, like, right. you know, what, you know, something, is it biological warfare, or was it purposeful, and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, that uh, you you'll sometimes hear about, but uh, yeah, if you look back like historically, I and mean, of course, I, you know, I can't say you know what's happening in China necessarily. I can't confirm or, or deny the you know the, the human you know incineration reports or whatever. Sure, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, if you look back historically, you know, you definitely can see in in other pandemics, you know, uh, that uh, like you look at like the bubonic plague of the 14th century, for instance, and yeah, I mean, people kind of go nuts, you know, some somewhat, especially if they don't really understand understand what's happening you know mm-hmm. so you know you, you definitely see the you know forced isolation of individuals who are infected and and you know people's emotional connections to people that are affected drop pretty significantly you know uh so you can see a lot of harsh behaviors and a lot of you know, you know uh, yeah. harsh you know responses particularly when people don't understand you know what's exactly happening. I mean, I mean, the funny thing about you know we, we we all talk about like social isolation, social distancing, and that kind of stuff. Where you know they did that, you know, d- during right, the bubonic right. plague, not as a, an official policy or anything, but you know people just sort of instinctively knew to stay away from 
uh, the infected people. But the, the trick with that one is that the disease spread through fleas. So it didn't really do you a whole lot of good to socially distance if you still had fleas, you know, right. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and rats, you know, running around. So, um, but that's inherent in a human makeup, though, I think, to to stay away. I mean, that's yeah. built into our DNA to stay away from things that we believe to be diseased. You know, I mean, it's why certain smells repulse us and, you know, things like that. Yeah. You know, it, it's built in that that aspect. Yeah, I mean, so is like this kind of fear reaction. You kind of, you know, uh, think about the way that we respond emotionally to things, and and all of the things that we cherish, like you know, loving others and respecting others, and working together as communities, and this kind of stuff, uh, all just come flying apart once right. your own immediate survival is on, you know, out of the is, window, is like level. A, the belief of an infected yeah. cat. Like, I mean, it is just <laughs> gone immediately. <laughs> Yeah, you know, little Mr. Whiskers isn't really that important to you anymore when you think you may, you know, be, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. inadvertently killed um, by, uh, you know, your otherwise cherished uh, pet. So, so certainly, it's, you know, and you don't have to look at China. It's, it, you could see people in the United States do stuff. You know, we oh, fortunately sure. haven't had any rash of pet killings or, or uh, you know, grandparent incinerations or, you know, or right. anything like that. But, you know, certainly you can still see... Like even with things like the toilet paper hoarding, how quickly people are unconcerned about the community welfare, you know, sure. and really are out for number one. Um, right. So there, that's just kind of how we're built is that when you get right down to it, we really are wired to be mostly selfish. And to the extent that we are generous to others, it's usually our biological kin. Um, that uh, we're kind of looking out for. Once you get beyond that, we're, you know, if it comes down, push comes to shove, we tend to be, you know, there are some heroes out there. There are some people, there are some exceptions to this, but, you know, the average person, you know, is wired to protect themselves and their immediate family and really forget about community pretty quickly when there's like a fire, you know, yeah. or a plague or something of that sort. And that's just kind of how we're, you know, that's survival, that's basic survivability. Right. Um, you know, and uh, we always have to keep that in mind, you know, when you think about how people respond to stuff. Sure. Well, and, and, and I think that, you know, the response – in China, and again, you said the numbers are garbage, and I agree with you 100%. But it does seem like from from a psychological standpoint and from a common sense standpoint, really, the draconian efforts that they've used to kind of be, you know, to test, to, to take everyone's temperature before they enter a building, to quarantine certain people, to quarantine areas, to, you know, to basically turn into, to industrialize sickness, to take the, you know, the people who are infected, mm-hmm. put them in a parking lot, um, you know, and, and keep them isolated. And, and they've done a great job of that, you know, at the absolute cost of everyone's <laughs> rights as citizens and sure. as human beings, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. Right. And I mm-hmm. think when we talk about like, like how madness is shaping history, to me, that seems a little bit crazy. However, it works. And as far as history is concerned, yeah. China's got this under control, Right. Um, or at least, or at least the efforts, or at least those types of efforts and and uh, methods get it under control. Oh yeah, you can get a lot of stuff done when you have no personal freedom, you know, and that you can basically, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, the, yeah. you know, other people's opinions don't have factor into your decision making process. Yeah, you can be incredibly efficient, and, and you know, in their defense, it looks like China has, you know, been very efficient at getting yeah. at least, you know. Current reports suggest uh, they've been very efficient at getting the infection under control. But yeah, on the other hand, you can look at you know a country like uh, South Korea, you know, and I probably you know I'm not allowed to call Taiwan a country, but you know, uh, <laughs> pro- right. pseudo a pseudo country, you know, you know, China would be upset if I referred to them as a country. But right. um, you know, where they're more authoritarian than we are, but you know, but they're democracies, you know. So mm-hmm. and they still were able to 
get the infection largely under control without going to the extremes that the you know PRC in China went to in terms of personal freedom. So widespread testing and isolation of specifically the individuals who are testing positive, you know, for the the, uh, the disease you know, seemed to be pretty effective, at least as effective in South Korea and Taiwan you know, as a more authoritarian approach that, uh, you know, there were videos of like people being pulled, kicking and screaming out of the houses right, in China. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so, uh, you know, South Korea and Taiwan didn't go that far, uh, but they still, you know, did, uh, you know, a lot better um, than Europe did or the United States did in terms of controlling um, the illness. We're here, you know, we're upset if we can't go to McDonald's and sit down, you know, uh, and that's, <laughs> right. you know, uh, a bit more of it. So, you know, having that sort of like collectivism versus individualism, you know, both have benefits and downsides. And For right sure. now we're seeing a little bit where individualism does have something of a downside, you know, personal freedom, you know, it's, it's hard for people to adjust to, uh, more government control, mm-hmm. whereas in other countries where that are more collectivist, you know, including democratic regimes like you know South Korea and Taiwan, people are a little more accepting of that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of go with it uh, a little better. So it's a little bit easier to, uh, and of course they've had more experience with things like SARS and you know other infections anyway, so they're a bit readier, mm-hmm. perhaps because of their own personal histories. But yeah, yeah, I, I think you know th- when you have that kind of cultural structure, it's easy to put things in enforce quickly uh, to try to limit people's interactions with each other in ways that obviously we really balked at in the U.S. and that slowed things down. And I think probably there were similar, I think like some countries like Sweden still don't have like, you know, uh, social distancing and right, such. Right, so, yeah. uh, you know, and that's that personal freedom. People are reluctant to let go of the personal freedom aspect. And, of course, the economy and all that plays a role in there, too. Well, here's the, so here's the interesting thing about the United States. Is since, this, since this started, I knew that this was tailor-made to basically destroy the United States because you, you see the effectiveness <laughs> yeah. of what's going on in China, right? But they're doing yeah. almost literally the exact opposite of anything we would do. And we'll get into right. our current leaders in a second, right? But our current leaders, <laughs> notwithstanding, just the American people, what we're used to, we aren't built to do the things as you've just laid out. We aren't built to do the things yeah. from a cultural standpoint that are required to tamp this down. Had you done those things in a month, this would be over. It just would be over because you would be able to keep people in their houses. This thing would work itself out with the people who were who were sick. It wouldn't be getting spread. You could control it a lot easier. It's not how it's going to work in yeah. the United States. And to me, that is a form of madness because you're it, it, it defies common sense. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the other countries. Italy was on its on its way down. We had an example, yeah. an example in a European country, you know, that that yeah. um, has a similar, more similar culture to us than China, let's say. Right. Although not, yeah, not in yeah. by any stretch, it means identical. We saw what was going on there. And still, as a as a as a group, not everybody, but as a group, we ignored yeah. it. That's crazy to me, and that will currently shape the history. I don't. We don't know how the history is going to be shaped ultimately, but that's going to shape America's history at the very least. You know, we just passed a. a it's going to have economic economic impact because we had to pass a huge stimulus yeah. bill, right? It's going to have cultural impacts. Who knows what? Are we going to wear masks for the rest of our lives? Are we going to shake right. hands yeah. anymore? Right? What are the impacts? This will shape the just the Americans' reaction to this is going to shape history, and, and I think you're exactly right in that. Yeah, I'm. I'm willing to let go of uh, hugging and hand and hand holding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay for the for the for the greater good. <laughs> I'm a bit of a. I'm a bit 
bit of an introvert myself, so, so if this gets rid of the uh, a I'm hero, a hugger right. thing, then I'm okay with that. Uh, but, I would call you a hero, Krista Conquer. I would, do, I would say you are really one of the true Americans that are putting a tamp on this thing. Yes. For, for, uh, for the sake of patriotism, I'm willing to let that go. Um, but, uh, well, I think the, the other thing that's sort of, you know, unfortunate, and I, and I, I would have to say that I, I was as guilty of this as anyone, you know, is, is I think in some respects, you know, as individuals, who don't know anything about like diseases and stuff, you know, I I think that, you know, culturally we kind of learned the wrong thing from past pandemics, which is a sense of that. This is like other people's problem, you know? So, so we had like, you know, SARS and MERS and H1N1 and Ebola, you know, that kind of cropped up in other places. And there would be these, you know, mild panics. You know, I remember Ebola and I remember H1N1, you know, when that was a thing about 10 years ago. Mm Um, and you know, there was a little bit of a panic around all of them, but then like, yeah, I don't want to say nothing happened because, you know, obviously some Americans got infected and some died, but they, you know, they weren't major deals or at least the amount to which they were a major deal was less perhaps than people had advertised them as being. So, so I think, you know, people tend to look for patterns, right? And if you have the sense of like people, I want to say one thing there because, but I, I think you're correct, but I think, you know, I, I had a conversation with producer Sarah on, on this, the exact same topic and she brought up a great point which is that with a lot of those things they're respiratory illnesses so you, people cough whatever mm. but you don't see anything right with ebola yeah i believe you kind of your insides basically turn to liquid and you can bleed out they of do. orifices yeah. or yeah you know or your orifices is that the right word orifices yeah. that doesn't sound right coming out of uh coming out of my <laughs> orifice right um but anyway yeah, yeah. but but, but you, you see it it's visual that's terrifying yeah. when you start seeing blood oozing from people's nose their mouth whatever right so that would create yeah. more of a panic than let's say someone with a strong cough you know right i think from from what you're saying from a standpoint of like oh it's here and when ebola was here it was very scary but i think maybe that has right. maybe a little something to do with it but i do agree with you that we a lot of that stuff, the major outbreaks were happening somewhere else, not our problem kind of a thing. Yeah, there's kind of the sense of like, a, a, you know, the United States and maybe Europe being kind of bulletproof in, in a sense mm-hmm. of like, uh, you know, we might get a few cases, you know, maybe even a few thousand cases. I, you know, I don't remember the, you know, I know some Americans died of H1N1. And, yeah. You know, I don't think it was a trivial number who died of H1N1, but, but it still didn't seem to be, you know, it didn't stop life, you know, necessarily. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, I remember all the recommendations, they wash your hands and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, th- I think there was this kind of this impression, like this was going to be like H1N1 again. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll all have to like really diligently wash our hands a whole bunch, you know, and try to keep away from people who, like you said, are like, you know, obviously sneezing and coughing and that kind of stuff. And, you know, some people will get it, but it will be, you know, as as the quote was kind of going around, like, it'll be like the flu, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be, you know, tragic. And, you know, we don't you know, want anybody to have it, of course, but it won't be this like life stopping thing. Right. And and I think that resulted in this like gross underestimate of, of really like how impactful mm-hmm you know, coronavirus was going to be, Cause I, you know, I think, and again, I'm not a, you know, an epidemiologist or I don't think I'm saying that right either. I think you nailed it. I'm not like a, you know, a germ specialist at any rate by any means, <laughs> right. but I mean, I do have this sort of perception of like, you know, and I sometimes in my, you know, uh, narcissism of trying to think I know things about like infections or whatever. I always kind of think of like the perfect germ, right? You know, mm. and, and, and you don't want to be Ebola, right? Because that kills like 90% of people. And right, like I right, said, right. it's obvious when you've got it. Right, yeah. People just like, you know, you can just kind of isolate that pretty quickly, which tends to be the case with, you know, Ebola. But you want something that doesn't kill most people, but is like really, really super infectious mm. and, and infects people 
before you even see the symptoms of them coughing and, and, and sneezing. And so in that sense, you know, un- unfortunately, you know, coronavirus seems to be like right in that, you know, for a disease, you know, kind of a sweet spot in that it's hard to identify m- enough people survive it that it's sort of easy to kind of brush it off, at least initially, you know, so, you know, I, the survival or the mortality rates seem to vary between like one to 3%, I think, what I understand from news reports. You know, you kind of say, well, you know, in, in terms of how people like, you know, try to estimate, you know, personal risk, one to 3% doesn't sound that bad, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's easy to, as an individual to ignore that until you start doing the math and look at like a population of 320 million people. Like what does losing 3% of 320 people look like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, I can't do math in my head, but you know, that's, well, I don't know, eight, nine million people or something like that, you know, so that's a pretty, you know, non-trivial <laughs> you know, number of deaths when you really right, get right down to it. But but I think, you know, in those initial, you know, that, you know, January, February, maybe even early March, I think that's kind of why a lot of people had difficulty is there was this sense of, you know, well, sometimes the flu is bad and the flu kills tens of thousands of people. So why is this any different, right. you know, kind of thing? And they hadn't really figured out that actually like one to three percent mortality is pretty high right. Um, right. in a large population of people. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, so I think people had just had some difficulty sort of like perceiving the risk of, of this actual disease. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And I think we're still learning about it. Right. And I think that yeah. we're learning mm-hmm. about all of its insidious characteristics, you know, and, and I think yeah. – Here's the thing. Uh, as we move on to our next topic, you nailed it perfectly because you you said exactly what I've always thought and what a lot of people are thinking is that this seems tailor-made to be an infectious disease, right? Which mm-hmm. really leads to conspiracy theories, which is another form of craziness that kind of comes out of things like this, right? Now, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to be the first one to admit that a couple of these things I buy into, but I do understand they may not be true. <laughs> this is my personal opinion, yeah. right? Uh, they may not be for everybody, mm-hmm. but it, it's just how easy it is to buy into this stuff. So, for example, yeah. my, here's what my brain does. My brain says, wow, this is something that literally appeared in December, it exploded, mm-hmm. and three months later, it is all over the world. We don't know exactly yep. what it does. It doesn't necessarily kill people. It makes people very sick. It is unbelievably contagious, three or four times more contagious than the flu, which is already pretty contagious. Mm-hmm. This, this feels tailor-made. It seems very strange. Now, I'm also – I had a whole conversation with a friend of mine who is actually um, a microbiologist and a geneticist, and we had this conversation okay. where basically it was – I also believe that nature, given overpopulation, could create something like this. Where would that show up? Mm. In our most densely packed countries, China, India, yeah. places like that, where there's just a lot of people, very little space, and, and viruses are designed to be transferred. People and people are in close quarters. It's built for that. So that mm-hmm. I, I believe that. I also believe that this thing has a lot of very interesting characteristics. And a friend of mine looked at the genetic sequence and said that there are four insertion points two of which may not have been natural, okay? Again, this okay. is me with the conspiracy theory, so I know this may not be true. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, <laughs> this is just me, just my opinion. But, but it got me thinking. You know, she also mentioned there is a lab in Russia close to the Chinese border called Vector, which had an explosion in mm-hmm. September, okay? That, housed, that is one of two places that houses smallpox, so it is one of those one of those labs that studies virulent um, virulent microbes, viruses, bacteria. There's one in the United States as well. 
So that had an explosion in September. Producer Sarah sent me sent me an article about Wuhan's microbiology lab, and there is a microbiology lab there that was that was designed to study SARS and other coronaviruses. Right now, these seem yeah. like incredible coincidences to me personally, from just a logical standpoint. So I'm not one of these people who say that this was released purposely. This is probably an accident. But what I am saying is if, if it came out that this was a, a, a created disease, I would believe it 100%. Am I saying that's the case? Mm. I don't know. However, the point I'm making is that there are conspiracy theories out there, and they are believable, right. and people fall into them very easily. One, which is a mm-hmm. little bit – so I personally think that that one is believable – uh, I'm going to ask you what you think about conspiracy theories in a second, but I want to mention one other one that is very, very weird. But there is a whole rash of people burning down G5 towers. G5 is the next, basically the next step of <laughs> <Yeah>. evolution <laughs> for um, cell towers. Woody Harrelson, a celebrity, yeah, a little, he's a little bonkers. Uh, I give him that, but he, but he is a <laughs> person that people know. He's championing, championing this, and and people are burning down cell towers, saying that there's a connection between G5. And and coronavirus, there have been studies that show that that it may be there may be a connection to cancer, which that I 100% believe. But coronavirus, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think about both the idea of um, of conspiracy theories, why they come up, and and how this kind of shapes how people react? Yeah, that's, that's a really really great question. I mean, there's a lot to you know kind of dig into there uh, with a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I gave you a lot to unpack. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I, I'm, I'm neither going to, you know, condemn or condone <laughs> any specific theories. You know, Fair enough. Uh, you know, because I don't, Fair I don't enough. know anything. You know, every, everybody's yeah. right. Um, you know, but uh, no, those are, those are some good questions. You know, I think that there are a couple things at play. You know, with some of this, in the sense that, on one hand, I think you know, conspiracy theories. There, there again, I think that, you know, to some extent we're kind of wired to be suspicious, you know, mm, but to sure. be suspicious of other groups. And, you know, so, so I th- again, I think some of this is just kind of how our brains are wired to work. You know, we're trying to look for cause and effect and things. And, you know, as much as we would like to think that we're a big world community, the reality is I think we're kind of wired to be suspicious of other humans. <laughs> right. you know, so You have to be. It's just a survival trait. You needed that. It is a, it is a survival trait, yeah. And, and I think, you know, conspiracy theories also kind of act to provide explanations for the unexplainable in you know situ- you know so it's in some ways we always want there to be a big bad evil mm-hmm. guy you know sure. we want there to be some sort of moral source you know or immoral source in this case you know for what goes wrong you know in the world so i i think that conspiracy theories are oftentimes constructed to create these narratives that help people understand why bad things happen, provide a you know boogeyman that theoretically could be gotten rid of, mm-hmm. and by doing so, we could control the world better, sense. you know, and uh, you know, in terms of getting rid of these things. And then people also have difficulty with with numbers, you know, <laughs> this is kind of the yeah. other thing, right? So like stats is a is a difficult uh, thing. As I, as I keep trying to point out to people with like the numbers about like U.S. infection rates and and, and all kinds of other stuff, uh, some of those numbers are you know, or mis- are being misinterpreted in some respects. But but if you look at, like, the, the G5 towers, right. you know, is there a correlation between the number of G... You know, if you look at... If you, like, do, like, a grid, you know, you take the oh, U.S. Yeah, or yeah. China or any place and you do a grid... Uh, and you use those grids to say how many G5 towers are there with are there within a particular, you know, grid point, 
and how many human infections are there within that grid point? You know, is there a correlation? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a correlation. But all that has to do with it is more people, you know, in those grids. You know what I mean? So the more people, the more G5s you're going to get, the more people, the more infections you're going to get. You know, so you can find a correlation on these grids, but that's what we call like an ecological fallacy, you know. But people tend to interpret correlations in that sense, you know, as cause and effect. You know, people have difficulty, even people that should know better, like psychologists, have difficulty separating correlation from cause and effect. And when people see two things occur together, even kind of, you know, transiently, uh, people will tend to assume there must be some kind of uh, connection between them. And, and, you know, and you add to that, you know, technophobia. I mean, people are always afraid of it. Now, G5 te- towers may be terrible. I don't, I don't know anything right. about them, to be honest with you. But there, there is this kind of, like, history of technophobia in general. And, uh, and you know, just because Woody Harrelson, this is like taking nutrition advice from Ben Paltrow. You know what I mean? It's, just because, you know, one, <laughs> well, you know. Well, the name doesn't mean they're an expert. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I agree you know? with you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, what does he know? He doesn't right. know anything. He's, he's yeah. a wonderful actor. I love him, you know. It's but uh, and I love Gwyneth Paltrow when she's in movies. She's but amazing. you know, I'm not going to buy her diet book <laughs> or whatever the heck it is she's selling these days. But you know, vagina scented candles, and I'm not making a joke, by the way. I, I don't even. I, I've lost track. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not at, making at that point. up. Yeah. That is what she sells. Yeah. <laughs> so love, lovely, you know. Um, yeah. So her her opinion on the diets is is dubious at best. <laughs> we we can uh, yeah take that we. Uh, we take that advisement with a bit of caution there, right, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, so the, the reality is, is you know, if, if you look, I mean, obviously different countries have been interested in like, bioweapons, you know, at different mm-hmm. points. And, and the, the, the gist is that they don't work. They either don't do the thing you wanted them to do or they do it to your own people, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. you can't control them, you know. So I, I think, you know, personally the idea that there's a Purposeful release of you know coronavirus you know is is uh, uh you, 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 can I definitely say it didn't happen I mean no of course not but you know I, I think that would be at the very extreme of unlikely things right, yeah. uh, to have occurred you know as and that's in no way a defense of the People's Republic of China you know that mm-hmm. uh, which is probably where most people are thinking has come from unless you're from the PRC where you think it came from the U S military but right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so you can you can sometimes see how these like you know conspiracy theories go back and back forth, and forth. And, you know they were yeah they were, you know but you know an accidental release is possible and I know that there have been I think you know again I just know this mainly through reading the news like everybody else but yeah you know, I, I have essentially got the gist that. Uh, it's unlikely, but not impossible. Seems to have been sort of like the vibe I got from reading different experts mm-hmm. talking about it. The, the most likely is that it was a transmission from nature uh, to uh, humans, and they, they seem to be still pinning it down on. Last I heard, they still were pinning it down on bats. You know, uh, possibly through some middle, you know, vector of an animal, and uh, so some kind of human animal transfer. Maybe at the wet markets in in Wuhan, you know, or maybe with some other kind of transfer. You know, people aren't exactly sure yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, conspiracy theories. People people love them, you know, and they're they're interesting, you know, and they sort of provide a narrative uh, that you know gives us a sense of why things happen. That's really what people want to know: is why did this happen? And just kind of like throwing up your hands in the air and saying, eh. Sometimes shit happens, you know, right. isn't really satisfying um, for the majority of, of, of people. I mean, if you think about it, like biologically, you know, we are at a point in human history where we're like the least 
diseased and predated on like ever, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we don't get targeted by infectious diseases nearly as often as humans have at any other point in history. You know, we don't have to worry much about lions and, you know, stuff eating us. So we're just like niche waiting to happen, you know, for some critter to come along and be this kind of, you know, and it's likely going to be infectious vectors, you know, at this yeah. point. So the, really the surprising thing is that we haven't had something like Corona-19 come along before um, because we really are this juicy, ripe fruit waiting for something uh, to, uh, you know, to come and get us. And I think you're right. I mean, I, look, I've, I've studied a lot of different animals and, and biology is, was one of my, my micro passions. I, I love, <laughs> I love biology, but there are, you know, there are things even, you know, bees, bees are getting predated on by lots of yeah. new viruses. And it's mostly because I think they've finally realized now it's obviously mostly because of, um, different pesticides and everything kind of weakening their immune sure. system. But, you know, Bees are a source of protein, and there are mm-hmm. there are parasites that are going to want to eat that protein, you know? And, I mean, that's exactly. true yeah. of every source of nutrients in yeah. the, in the in biology. It's just how it works. And you are exactly right. And and it's, it's overpopulation. There's too many of us, and there's no way to keep us in check. Nature is, by design, supposed to keep everything in check. If it doesn't, right. it yeah. dies, right? So I completely yeah, exactly. agree with you that that we are a resource waiting for some bacteria or virus to, to, to <laughs> take advantage of. However, I think it's a pretty also amazing coincidence that there is a new biological lab in Wuhan <laughs> studying the cor- yeah. coronavirus-like <laughs> things. So lots of interesting coincidences lead to yeah. um, conspiracy theories. But now, now we're going to move on to the speaking – of, speaking of meat and potatoes, we're going to move on to what I think is really – at the center of, of this madness shaping history, and that is our world leaders. And so <laughs> we, we need to look no further than our own. Now, before I start saying anything right now, I want to mention a couple of things really quickly. I, I want to know kind of your opinion on what is the difference between madness and political maneuvering. I think that that distinction mm. is very key. Um, I also yeah. want to say that personally, you know, we talked in our last episode, we don't like to get into politics. We have to hear. I hate political tribalism. I think the fact that we Mm -hmm. have two parties in this country, that is almost like, um, you know, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing he didn't exist. We have convinced people that being on one side or the other is the good thing. And I think just the fact that people are forced to choose is the bad thing. And it is exactly what is causing our response to be delayed. We need to be unified as a people, and this whole idea of choosing sides is ridiculous. I don't choose sides. I never really have. As a matter of fact, I've spent the better part of four years defending people that I don't like simply because the reaction to them is so stupid. So mm-hmm. I am going I am going to go on a record. Me personally, I have never I've never really been a Trump fan, but I have not been a detractor the way other people have. However, yeah. common sense, what's going on in the world his his actions now have shown just how inept of a leader he mm-hmm. really is from objective standpoint from an objective standpoint yeah. right the ob- <laughs> he's objectively yeah. handling this poorly by any measure so my question is i can go down the list here of things that he has done i think there are lots of factors <laughs> at play here but i want to really know not not with any kind of political agenda but i'm very curious what you think is madness happening in our political leaders, 
And is that currently shaping our history? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's you know, a part of it. And you, you kind of like uh, mentioned this issue of madness versus, you know, political maneuvering. And, and, mm-hmm. and really, you know, madness or the way I defined it in the book was this sense of, you know, persisting in a particular behavioral path despite it causing mm-hmm. fairly obvious yep. destructiveness either to yep. oneself or to others. Yeah. Great definition, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, political maneuvering is probably closer to more like classical, you know, Machiavellianism where mm. it's strategic, you know, and there's a goal in mind. And it might be kind of cynical, uh, you know, but it's not necessarily destructive. Yeah, there may be some people that experience, you know, negative outcomes through the course of it. There's kind of that, you know, ends justify the means kind of mentality but like game theory in a way right yeah yeah i mean at least you're kind of like you're, you're directed towards a particular goal mm-hmm. and at least in the path of getting towards that goal you're willing to change strategy right see, you know so yeah, if things yeah. aren't working you you don't persist in that thing yeah and um so yeah i mean so i mean i i agree with you know i think most if not all of what you just said that a lot of this does come down to you know, tribalism in the sense that, you know, someone on one side of the aisle could declare death to be bad and the other side would declare death to be good because <laughs> right. that's just what, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just what, you know, so you look at like, even like on science issues, I mean, and the psychological research on this, I think is pretty clear that, you know, you look at something like global warming. Now, you know, I believe global warming is a thing, I'm, you know, that's, then humans contribute to it. But, and you know, if you look at like why people believe in it or don't believe in it, most people, and myself included, don't actually know anything about it, right, mm-hmm. other than what we read in the news. Sure. And so you get this issue of people don't really form their beliefs based on data, but based on their tribal affiliation. So Republicans, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, so I certainly apologize for, you know, making, sort of talking yeah, in yeah. these broad, you know, but, uh, you know, Republicans on average are less likely to believe in global warming because that's what Republicans do. Mm-hmm. And, and then Democrats, you know, believe in global warming, not because they know anything more than right. Republicans do, but right. that's because what, that's what Democrats do. Right. You know? So there's a sense that like, people tend to make decisions about stuff you know, like, and you see with coronavirus, these people like, you know, these comments, like, I forget who said it, like, this idea, like, grandparents are willing to, like, fall on the sword, you know, for, like, I don't, did they do a survey of grandparents, you know, because, you know. It was the lieutenant governor of Texas who said that. Texas, that's right, that's what, that's what it was, like, you've lost your mind saying this in public, you know, this is. I want to mention one other thing about that particular comment, which was amazing to me, yeah. is he said it on, uh, I forget, I think probably a Fox News show or CNN or something like that, it was on a of the major networks, but he's you know he said I, I'm willing to do this for my grandchildren and know that I don't believe that makes me noble, right? Like he's offered up okay, every yeah. grandparent, and then he says he would do it, and then claimed it doesn't make him noble, right? To me, yeah. there's a little bit of narcissism in that, yeah. <laughs> which is which is a form of crazy that affects how yeah. people think. There are people in the state who said, "Oh, that's a good yeah. idea." Right. And then you yeah. get another guy who says, yeah. well, my family, you know, Cuomo came out and said, you know, they're they're not they're not expendable, you know. And yeah. and I think it does speak to this point of like and this is this is this is what I can't stand is it's everything's a dichotomy. 
Everything is yeah. okay. We have mm-hmm. we have two answers. One side picks this, so of course the other side must pick the opposite because we exactly. must split yeah. up the voters fifty fifty. This has nothing to do yeah. with what's good for people, what's good for the nation. There's none of that, and 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 I think that yeah. that is the problem. It's it's this adherence to this incredible tribalism, this belief that I am part of this group and so the other group must be bad. This is what I believe is 100% destroying not only America, um, but also our response to this thing that is killing everybody. It doesn't matter what side, yeah. it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter. It's, it's affecting everyone the same way, you know? And and yeah. and I think that is, to me, absolutely batshit crazy excuse my pardon my yeah. french pardon yeah. moi, but that is crazy <laughs> right. to me yeah well if you, i mean if you look at you know like the or, or president trump i mean yeah I, I'll, give, I'll give him credit for one thing and that's the sense that he he basically is what it said on the box you know what yeah, i mean like yeah, he yeah. basically advertised as chaos you know mm. and you know he, he i mean what we got from him as a president is exactly what he said right. he would give us. Right. You know, I totally so agree whether with that. you think that's a feature or a bug, you know, <laughs> right. depends on your perspective. You know, um, right. but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he never said like, like I will carefully consider every piece of data before coming to a reasoned conclusion. <laughs> you know, that just wasn't that, yeah. that that wasn't his brand. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You know, so so to think <laughs> that we were going to get. You know, and Obama had his ups and downs of as course, well. You know, yes. so you know, the thing that we were going to get an Obama response to a you know pandemic when we elected the guy whose whole narrative was "I'm going to burn it down." Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah right. Right. You know what I mean? Like Hold on, we, totally we got what you. we voted for. I totally agree with you. <laughs> well, and and I, and I will say this is a lot of people. You know, I I I think he at the. When this thing started, he made great decisions. Shut down travel. Mm. Shut, shut down travel to China. You know, boom. Let's cl- lock everything down. I completely agree. Yeah. However, as this has gone on, right? Right. It's almost this this narcissism that he knows better when he's surrounded by advisors who, by definition, know more than him. Right. And he still is saying things that are counter. I mean, Fauci's been with with the with the the president since 1984. He he, he was with Reagan mm-hmm. for God's sakes, right? Yeah. Republican, yeah. Democrat, it doesn't matter. He's he's the science guy who's talking about this stuff. I mean, you know, you've got Trump who's who's literally not even listening to his top advisors. Mm-hmm. You know, he it, this idea to be more concerned with because, as you mentioned, you know, China said that it may have come from U.S. soldiers. I, I don't know where it came from. I have no idea. Yeah. But the response is not, hey, we got to fix this. The response is, let's start calling it the China virus mm-hmm. to we got it because we, we can't take a dig. We got it. We got to dig back. Right. We got it. We got to shoot back because we're, you know, th- but this petulant response to these things and, and not taking things seriously. I, I'm genuinely like I, I'm genuinely curious. Is this, you know, is this a feature, not a bug? It's his brand. That would imply political maneuvering right and and to, to, to an extent mm. i actually can understand that right yeah as i mentioned i'm not a, i'm not a part of any political party i understand what people are doing i understand yeah. the nature of politics i get it however there comes a point when when people should know better right and so when you've got governors right. fighting for supplies first of all no leader should put governors in the situation where they need to fight and bid against each other for supplies Correct. but then you've yeah. got but but that even broke down on party lines and you've got a president who's saying 
hey, you're not appreciative enough, so I'm not going to save the lives of your constituents by sending you ventilators and, and, and supplies. Right. That seems crazy to me. This is the like madness of King George type stuff. This is the type of thing mm-hmm. monarchs would do. Let them eat cake, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, am, yeah. am I wrong in this? Or, or, or Because this feels truly insane to me. By def- by your book's definition, this feels insane. Yeah. What, 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 yeah. What's going on here? And, and how do you think this will care- play out? Yeah. And I, I just wanted to say as an aside, in, in all defense of King George, he actually wasn't a bad guy necessarily. <laughs> he just was crazy. Uh, but uh, so I, I feel a little bad almost comparing him to Trump. But, I, I, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, this is, you know, so I think that, you know, there is some degree of, of uh, political maneuvering in some of this. And I, and I you know, I, I agree with terms of like Trump being kind of like the bull in the China shop, you know, he, he, and I guess what he, he advertise himself as being, you know, chaos personified. And there there are some political calculations. I I understand why people make some of them in the sense of why they support him. Sure, sure. Um, because they have certain litmus test issues that they believe that he will deliver. And he has, you know, like with justices in the Supreme Court and yeah, things yeah. like that. So, you know, I, I, I understand, you know, some of that stuff. But, you know, but I think, you know, we Trump is really a symptom of larger problems that we have, you know, so the problems that the United States has now with sort of like the madness of the masses didn't begin with Trump. It really, you know, he is symptomatic of larger issues that we've been struggling with probably for decades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've just sort of magnified now that he has made them, you know, clear. And the, and the reality is that you know, both sides, if you will, or even maybe it's not even just two sides, but, you know, all individuals are sort of retreated into these, you know, tribal units mm-hmm. and are having difficulty really sort of reaching across. I mean, I, I think you have to go back to like Reagan, you know, to find, you know, people being willing to compromise across the political spectrum um, in ways that were big, you know, in terms of doing big things. Right, right now, right, it's yeah. all about obstructing, you know, the uh, the other side. So we need to figure out some way you know, to get past that. And, and and right now, the unfortunate thing is we do have these, like, structural issues in the United States in particular. I mean, other countries have them too, but, but you know, as you pointed out, our two-party system really magnifies that to some extent. Our primary system appears to magnify that uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all countries have a primary system. We do. Most people don't vote in primaries, and the people who do vote tend to be more extreme, mm-hmm. which means right. that, uh, you know, uh, we end up get, getting stuck with the most extreme candidates in the general election, sure, yeah. um, you know, or people have to make crazy promises <laughs> that most people don't want, you know, in order to get through the primaries and stuff. And just the sense of, you know, if you don't agree with me, then you're, you know, so like, you know, I think we both have sort of implied that we're not Trump supporters. So there probably some be listening and think that we're like baby killers, right? You know, because we don't apparently care about like Supreme Court justices and, mm-hmm. you know, right to life and all. Yeah, you know, people can magnify the fact that, you know, you disagree on a particular issue to being like a literal Nazi, right, you know, yeah, yeah. or a little communist. And, you know, and somehow we have to get past that because this is exactly the thing that is preventing us from working together as a group to solve things like COVID-19 or global warming or other pressing issues uh, that we have. And, and even if, you know, some people are, you know, 
whether you're on the left or the right, both the left and the right are correct about certain different issues. 100%. You know, so it's not like the left is always right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah left, left is always correct. I should say. Um, you know, so the left is wrong on a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. You know, just as the right is wrong uh, on a lot of issues. But people have difficulty. You know. Uh, First off, absorbing data, um, but also listening to other people's perspectives and trying to understand them. So there, you know, people think that I'm right about, say, global warming, and if you disagree, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, I'm not going to so, censor you, Chris DeConco, <laughs> for God's sake. You say what you yeah. want to say. Be, beware the penalties no, of censoring. No. Yeah. So there's just, but the thing is, is and I, now this is you know a quote from the book. Essentially, it's like nobody, you know, nobody ever listened to you more after you called them an asshole. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah. We have to be, you know, think, again, think in terms of like Machiavellianism, even, you know, if we're going to be cynical, how do we strategize it to get people from their perspective closer, at least to ours? And they may not come entirely to ours, but how do we move people and society closer to the things we think are important? And being the loudest screaming blue check on Twitter is not how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if anything, the more yeah, you know, take a thing like anti-vaxxing. The more you point out how stupid and assholes and selfish anti-vaxxers are, mm-hmm. the more defensive they get, mm-hmm. and the more they retreat to their position. Yeah, you know, so you have to think about ways of listening to people you think are wrong trying to understand how they came to their perspective and ask them like, well, what would it take, you know, what would convince you that you would change your mind and how can we make it such that you can save face while doing so, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and that's part of it. You know, people can be dead fatally wrong about something and stay in that position if you don't allow them to save face right, by right. changing their perspective one way or another. And that's something that we really are struggling with right now. We had to do that with the Cold War, right? I mean, you've got Russia, who, yeah. who was very into machismo, as, as most people in power, men in power are, I should say. And, and, but their culture right. was specifically about, like, we are strong, we can't look weak. And you, if, you're gonna, if you want people to back down and give up nuclear weapons and do that, you, you have to give people an opportunity to save face or they're going to – I mean that stopped a lot of wars. You know, when you start looking – I was listening right. to a lot of documentaries, whether it's when JFK was president or when, um, you know, or, or when Reagan was president. They, th- these are great leaders who had to give people an opportunity to do exactly what you just said. Which is save face while yeah. backing off of their the opinion. You know, you you have to do that. Yeah, well, that's literally like you know uh, a part of the book. You know, the the art of war is this idea that if you want to you know really defeat your enemy, you want to s- surround them on three sides, not four. Right. Uh, because if you surround them on all four sides, they'll fight to the death. Mm-hmm. You know, and inflict more casualties on you know your side. You want to give them at least the illusion of being able to escape. Right, yeah, yeah. I, did, I just did an episode on, on, on the art of war, so thanks for the little plug there. We just did a couple episodes yeah. ago, we just did one on the art of war. I agree with you 100%. I want to give you one non controversial example of something where I believed that something, I saw something. I mean, I'll give you one example of what you're talking about. So there was this whole Twitter campaign uh, in, in, in North Hollywood. There was a farmer's market. This is right after Mayor Garcetti came on, Mayor of LA said, you know, no, stay out of the social, you know, stay home, stay at home order, no, social distancing, everyone, you know, only for essential things, right? So like a week later, there was a farmer's market that was open. 
And so it happened. Someone took a picture, and it's crowded with people, and they all happen to be white. And there was an ongoing thing about white privilege, and people weren't listening, right? They're, they're, they're privileged yeah. people weren't listening to this, right? So it fit that narrative, okay, perfectly, this picture. Yeah. And I saw it, and I was like, yeah, that does kind of suck. Why are these people out doing this at a farmer's market, right? Yeah. Then I heard a friend tell me just yesterday – I meant happened to mention this, and they were like, "Well, we only shop at farmers markets. Here's why: because we know that that food has only been touched by the farmer, or maybe one or two other people. We get to pick it; it hasn't been handled by a million people. And also, a farmers market's open air. Who wants to go to a grocery store and be stuck contained with mm. five walls when we just saw 3D modeling of what happens when someone coughs in one aisle? Right? How many right. aisles <laughs> over go? And made all these incredible points where I was like." That actually makes so much sense. I don't necessarily right. agree with that. We have to. There need to be more right. rules in place. But hold on. Now I actually understand that. Point is, same point you're making. Everyone has a reason why they believe what they believe. And even if you think it's crazy, there's probably a good reason for it. And if you don't really comprehend that, you can't. If you don't understand it, then you can't talk someone out of it if you think it's detrimental to people as a whole or to them as a person or whatever it is. Right, yeah. Well, the other the other issue is you, you kind of hinted at in there, too, is you kind of mentioned, like, you know, people kind of, like, try to fit the virus into their own, you know, personal narratives. And that's, that's another thing people, I, I think, you know, need to try to resist doing is that, like, not everything is about your personal agenda. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, you know, COVID-19 is a big enough deal, you know, on its own without right. making it about something else. Right, um, right. And the more we try to make it about another thing, even in good faith, you know, mm-hmm. that we're also upset about, right. the more you're going to start to shed supporters. You know, you're now making it a bu- three or four or five or ten different debates uh, rather than just yeah, one. Yeah, um, and uh, sometimes we need to stay the course and fix the big thing right in front of us, yeah. you know. And that's not to say these other agendas are unimportant or trivial or little things, but, you know, we've got to fix, you know, people are dying once we fix that, then we can maybe now we can analyze some of that data and say, well, you know, there are disparities here. And now we need to sort of address that. But, uh, you know, but you do have to be a little bit cautious about kind of, again, strategically staying on message and fixing the big thing right in front of you right. before you start tackling four or five other important, but, you know, perhaps not as big or immediate uh, issues um, as well. No, I think that I think that that makes perfect sense. And that's exactly what happens all the time is people use it as a canvas to to say what you know the other issue that's on their mind how this proves that narrative as well one last thing i want to get to because this this kind of goes to this idea that you know political maneuvering versus madness so the this this was actually crazy again producer sarah sent me this this is a news article right from today i'll post it as well but it's about the president of brazil who happens to have aligned himself very closely with Trump. And I, I believe this is for very strategic reasons because he kind of, you know, he sold himself as this outsider who would kind of come in and stamp out um, corruption and, 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 you know, all this stuff. And, and you know, in March 7th, there's another article where, where, you know, President Trump was supposed to be in the middle of quarantining people and he was having this um, like weekend getaway in Mar- uh, Mar-a-Lago mm-hmm. and the president of Brazil was there shaking hands with him. This is, Mar- you know, March 7th or whatever. Very close to him. Obviously, you know, it's kind of had a uh, – he, he – the president of Brazil is also – you know, said, hey, well, I'm not going to listen to my advisors. Everyone should go out. No one should be social distancing. So much so that his supporters have turned against him. His cabinet has turned against him. 
Um, the local mm. the local governors in Brazil are also trying to find supplies. They're telling people to quarantine. Very. This sounds very similar to the United States, right? Here's the key yeah. difference, which I just thought was amazing, is the people of Brazil, maybe because they are not so tied to political parties or whatever, people who voted for, for this president, they're all turning on him in a way yeah. that makes sense because it's affecting the people. It is weird to be to think of the United States as this rebellious country where the, the people rule. We you know we the, the the politicians should fear their people. You know um, that's the kind of thing that I, at least I was brought up on is how powerful the democracy is. And yet here we're almost slaves to the tribe we belong to. And in Brazil mm-hmm. they're doing all the things that Americans should be doing as well. We should be leading the world in that. And it's coming from another country. Uh, first of all, I, I love that idea. I'm glad it's happening in Brazil, but it makes me really upset that that type of stuff is not happening here. Do you think, and I'm, I'm guessing I already know the answer to this, but do you believe that the president of Brazil is doing this as a political play, uh, despite the fact of losing all of his supporters, and, or, or is this real madness of you know dictatorship? <laughs> well, yeah, and in fairness, I haven't followed the, the situation in Brazil very closely, so I'd be, be a little bit cautious, you know, uh, uh, commenting on him. But, but what you say, like, you know, coming back to, like, you know, how madness is defined in the book, essentially, if he's persisting in a course of action and sticking to it despite it causing, you know, destructiveness to his, you know, his country, to his culture, and to himself, which is kind of like is what I'm hearing in the yeah, narrative, yeah. then we say that's, that's kind of mad, you know, that essentially it's a persisting in a, a course of choices and, and behaviors that are doing damage uh, you know, to your to the group you're supposed to represent as well as perhaps in this case to yourself if it's going to lead to the end of your political career as, you know, mm. as it seems to be right, you're right. applying uh, in that situation. So, you know, it, it's, it, you know this is kind of like what people have always been asking about Trump, right? Is there like a like four-dimensional chess that somehow is being played here? Yeah. And usually if you have to ask that question, the answer is usually no, right. um, that it, it yeah. really is just madness. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not like, you know, a long game somehow that people are playing that, oh, we're all going to be like, oh, wow, that's so brilliant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah that, that really only happens in the movies. <laughs> it's really not how people do things. Right. <laughs> Very few people are capable of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's some really interesting quotes from from the article that I thought were really interesting. And this is this is um, you know this is a former Brazilian president supporter who is now saying that um, the attitude that he's assuming during this crisis have made me think what's going on in his head. She said he prefers to enter into controversy through unnecessary debates rather than doing something like other countries are doing, which sounds extraordinarily familiar. <laughs> but, but this is a very poignant also from that. This is a guy Brian Winter. He's a vice president of policy. For a, for a think tank. And so he's been following a lot of populist leaders, right? So this is across the world. Yeah. And this is really interesting to me. He said, they all have a general anti-establishment streak that says that if the media is saying one thing, the truth must be the opposite. And this can be very dangerous mm-hmm. during a global pandemic. And I think that that is very true. And I'm not saying, you know, we live now, especially in the United States, I can only really speak of the United States. We live in a time now where media has been more polarized than I've ever seen before. I mean, I grew up believing that journalism was journalism and the facts were the facts. 
facts. And yeah. now we live in a time when it's all politically charged in one way or the other, which I can't stand. I don't like that. I want to know what the facts are and let me make my own decision yeah. on it. But that's the world we live in. But this whole belief that if 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 the news is saying something against what what a leader believes and they say, well, that now I'm going to say that that news source is, dis, is not reputable anymore – that yeah. is crazy. And when people believe that and then they don't believe genuine news sources, that is not only incredibly mm. damaging in a pandemic, but in general. And that is the type of stuff that really scares me about how people are getting their information. Where are they then to turn to get their information? And then how credible is that? And I'm guessing the answer is absolutely not credible at all. That is crazy to me as well. Not only from the political leaders that are suggesting that, from, from the, but from the citizenry that is accepting that. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging, too. I mean, one of the things that I kind of, you know, worry about with some world leaders, and there's a fair number of them, you know, sort of scattered about, is, is a sense of you, you, we have, you know, governors, perhaps the, the Fed, you know, the presidency in our country and other countries that, you know, it, it sort of exhibit these sort of symptoms that I would think of as being like fragile narcissism, as they can take these kind of extreme positions and then dig in, you know, with them. Uh, even when the evidence begins to accumulate, you know, against those um, you know, positions. So it sounds like the president of Brazil perhaps is in that category uh, of individuals. Where if you look at it, like the, the contrary, the one thing I will say, you know, is impressive, not admirable, but impressive about China, uh, is how they have taken a disaster, at least partially of their own making, maybe mostly of their own making, mm-hmm. and... Machiavellianism wise, that's not even really a word, probably, but you know, know what I mean. Exactly what you yeah, mean. Kind of like, yeah, have tried to twist it into making themselves the heroes of the story. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, it is. You know, it they is. are, they have got some talented people in charge. You know, incredibly cynical, maybe right, evil, right. but, you know, talented. incredibly talented individuals sure. who, who are running the show. And, and people are, a fair amount of people are sucking that up, yeah, you know. Yeah. And even organizations like the WHO, you know, are kind of now getting criticized for being too much in, you know, the back pocket of the PRC, you know. So, I mean, so you kind of look at like, you know, again, you know, China has a lot of advantages. They're very authoritarian. They can control their you know, the news media within their own country. You know, they have heightened censorship, so they have a lot of control over things. But they have, or at least in this case, they've been demonstrating a remarkable ability to sort of bend with the situation and try to turn it to their advantage even though I think a lot of people would say that they, maybe not deliberately, but through their initial decisions, bears at least some responsibility for this becoming a worldwide pandemic. Sure. Whereas you can kind of see the contrast to that as these people that just look like knuckleheads, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that take extreme positions and stick with them and don't respond to data and just kind of dig in. And then that you know, looks you know, super destructive, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not helping people. It's not helping themselves really. They may have a core group of people that have decided to get in the burning tent with them. Uh, but, um, you know, in terms of expanding that, uh, and, you know, I mean, part of the job of the president is supposed to be the sort of like national cheerleader for be- be- lack of a better word, right? right? Yeah, the yeah. sense of like bringing everybody together, 
you know, bringing, you know, everybody into the tent, you know, feel, making people feel confident that we're in this together. And, you know, I'll be very upfront. I, I still think George W. Bush is one of the worst presidents that we've ever had. But, but I will say he had a talent for that. You know, if you look at like 9-11 sure. and the, the, the couple of years after 9-11, he was brilliant. You know, as he, had the, he had the personality that could, you know, bring people together, get everybody proud to be American. Yeah, everybody was waving their flags, putting them on their cars at that time. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was stunning. And that's very different from today. Where you know COVID nineteen hasn't done very much at all to make it feel like we're in the boat together, you know. So we still have this partisan sniping back and forth, you know. And I think as much as anything else, I mean, I think you know we have to acknowledge that whatever other decisions he has made that have been good, like closing air travel from China early and whatever else, that uh, you know our president has not been very effective at bringing us together at finding ways to bridge these partisan divides and get us working so that we're rowing the boat in the same direction. And instead we have chaos, you know, like I said, we, it all kind of fell on governors and mayors and everybody's making different decisions. And so, you know, what you're experiencing in California is different from what you're experiencing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. There, there are some number of States that, that my last I heard don't have any kind of social distancing mandate, right. you know, Arizona, my mom lives in Arizona. They, they were the, one of the last okay. States to, to enact that. And it's still very loose. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's not great. You know, you know, so we, we really you know, should be thinking about leaders in the future, you know, and I'm not saying necessarily that Biden could do it, you know, so maybe he can't either. I don't know. But, you know, we really should start to think about how do we get leaders who are able to do that and use data to make decisions and, you know, f- figure out ways to be wrong and be flexibly wrong so you can turn that into being right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in the future, right, right. rather than just digging right. in your heels and being wronger, <laughs> being wrong louder, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know <laughs> which doesn't really help yeah. us, you know. So no, I think I think that that's all incredible. I mean, and again, you know, talk about ma- again the madness of the masses and how the primaries worked and how Biden became the candidate over several other probably more qualified candidates is also a very interesting tale as well. This is just an incredible situation, constantly evolving. But uh, there were just too many topics that came out since this epidemic that basically illustrate examples in your book. And I know, you know, I'm assuming future editions are going to have a COVID-19 chapter added on the end of it, (laughs) um, probably having a lot of the stuff we talked about today. But it's just it's an ever changing situation. People are getting crazier. And I am positive that the 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 everything that is happening today is is going to drastically and in my personal opinion negatively affect the future and it is just it was too timely not to talk to you more about it mm-hmm. so um yeah. you know, thank you so much for taking this extra time out for me and and discussing all of this craziness with me well it's it's a pleasure and you know hope everybody's listening you know stay safe and uh, stays away from other people and hopefully we'll all get through this together <laughs> yeah and and you know it should mention now you got everyone's got a little extra time uh, by themselves they, there's a great book out there called how madness shaped history That's right. by a guy named Christopher yeah. J uh, Ferguson <laughs> um where can people find that book you can find it on any of the online sellers you know Amazon or Barnes and Noble uh they are they, they, it is out so you can get it anytime 
uh, they are shipping them. So uh, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good chance to uh, read up on if you think you got things bad, <laughs> you can read about a bunch of people in history that uh, definitively had things right. worse. Objectively, definitively, for sure. And you can even get the electronic version. You know, download it to your Kindle or other yeah. tablet device. You know, you don't have to get it shipped if you don't. That we don't have to wipe it down with Lysol when the book actually shows up. You can just get a digital copy, clean and virus free. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Christopher J. Ferguson, Chris the Conqueror. You've done it again. Thanks again. It's always a pleasure being on. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you like the show, you should subscribe. You can subscribe on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can even review it and give it a rating, preferably five stars if you don't mind. Uh, I really appreciate it. It helps the show grow. Share it with your friends, people you think would like to learn about all kinds of fascinating topics. And hey, you want to learn some more? Go to fascinatingnouns.com. There you can subscribe to the show's newsletter at the bottom, which tells you not only about this show, but other shows that I'm doing. You can even check out our social media. We've got links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages, all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. At the top, you can sort the shows by guest, by subject, and by date chronologically. We've got over 160 episodes now, and it's just an easy way to find all the episodes that you want. Everything on fascinatingnouns.com. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJakeLen.com to find out more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.